Hello, Graham Norton here on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose for another podcast. Let's get cracking. Dolly Alderton has a brand new book, Good Material. Duran Duran's Simon Laban has a new album out and some exciting news for next year. Show Chef Martha is all ready for Guy Fawkes. And Maria McCurlin is here. We'll be putting our heads together to answer your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Hello, Maria. Oh, Maria, I was distracted. I was reading the paper. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks very much. You're sounding very perky this morning. What have you read in the paper that has perked you up? Actually, do you know what? It's quite nice. I've seen some films that I enjoyed and now they're getting uh, very good reviews in the papers. And I'm thinking, oh, that's good. Please. Oh, I watched I watched a film. I want to know what they are. But I watched a film last night um, called Nyad. Um, and it's about a swimmer. Um well, well, you'd have related to that, of course, Maria, because you're half did, fish. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But it's starring, it's very starry, Jodie Foster and Annette Benning. And what was brilliant about this film, I mean, the film is great. It's triumph over blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the sense of will can carry you through, etc. Um, I'm always one for lowering your expectations, frankly, but <laughs> that's just me. Um, so, no, what was lovely about it was seeing the fact that Jodie Foster, age 60, and Annette Benning, age 65, were there in all their glory, without the makeup, without the lighting, without the... They were looking their proper age, and I just found that so refreshing. You know, as Goldie Horn, I think it was, that once said, in Hollywood, there's three ages. It's babe, attorney, and driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> and, and this was, like, not that at all. It was just women who are strong and powerful and about the inside, you know, as sort of being, achieving through what's inside rather than by plastic surgery and looking, you know, different, not younger necessarily. So well done them. And I'm really hoping we see more films like that where people just look their age. Because men don't have to worry about that. They just kind of go, oh, yeah, you look distinguished. Women, it's, oh, no, can we get someone younger? I'm not so sure. <laughs> oh. <laughs> As an older man, I'm not so sure. No, I mean, I think that has changed now where you get people who are 80, sort of, you know, and their love interest is sort of, you know, 17. I think that has kind of stopped a bit, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, the film I, well, there's two films I want to recommend. Uh, by the way, my takeaway from everything you said was Jodie Foster's only 60. I mean, she must have, I, I guess because she started so young, but I would have thought yeah. she was about 17. By now, she's been in the world forever. But no. was it Taxi? Oh no, Bugsy Malone was her first film, wasn't it? Yes, she was incredibly young, but she looks great, and Annette Benning looks great, and they look real. I'll stop wanging on about it. Tell me your films now. Okay, mine is the opposite. Mine is a film about very, very, very young people. And it's got a kind of silly title. Well, it's not a silly title. It's a, it's a title you'll remember, which is why it's a good title. And it's called How to Have Sex. But, which makes you kind of think, oh, this is just going to be some terrible old sex comedy or something. And it's not. It's about these... Uh, kind of British kids who go off to, you know, a Magaluffy type place. And it's just beautiful and heartbreaking. And a lady called Mia McKenna Bruce. Mia McKenna Bruce. Can you tell I'm reading that? Uh, she, yeah, <laughs> she, she is the lead. And, you know, I'm having to read that name now, but we will all know that name. She is mesmerizing. She's one of those people, the camera just loves her and she can look all sorts of things she can look beautiful she can look kind of ordinary she can look you know just amazing one of those faces that is just perfect for a film and uh, she gives a brilliant performance and I think she's playing like 16 or 17 um, but I googled her and I think she's in her 20s and right. it's just phenomenal and which platform is that on? 
Uh, I don't know actually. It's in the paper. Oh. It's got it's got all these stars, but I didn't tell where you. I, I think you have to go see it in cinemas. I think you have. Oh, uh, you might actually have to, you know, put a coat on to go and see that. Yeah, <laughs> don't like that. Mine, by the way, Nyad N Y A D is on the Netflix for people who will then text me and ask me what it is. Uh, is that your dog crying or a, a, a yes. siren driving past? <laughs> <laughs> it is crying dog. What's wrong and with Rafi? I've no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> he sounds very it's upset. Because, it's because, he, because he's been shut in his cage oh, while I chat to you. Oh, but it's not. I, he might be better out of the cage, <laughs> I, I, out of the room, out yes. of the house. I think. I think Rafi's making his point quite well. No, no, I'm more annoying in a cage. <laughs> <laughs> I find that to be true. <laughs> Did you watch any of the Strictly last night? Oh, I did. I did. Um, and, and very good it was. I mean, Leighton Williams is so ridiculously good. Like, you, they had to mark him down a bit just because it's stupid. <laughs> like, you kind of thought, which one of these is the professional? He was so, I so know, good. really. He's yeah. so good. But they are harder on him because he is. He started from a good place. So, you know, the journey and all that. And his toes didn't do pointy out. Naughty toes. He had naughty toes rather than good toes. Um, so he's got to work on that. Yeah, but gotta work I do on love that, yeah. Ellie. Is it Ellie Leach from Coronation Street? I love her. I didn't get Vito. that far because uh, oh. I realised uh, yeah, that. <laughs> I know you only dip in and yeah. out. Um, no, I did see Angela Scanlon though, and uh, and Angela. She was great. She was. Uh, she sent us an update, and we'll uh, post that online, and uh, people can find it there because she's giving us a diary of her time on. Uh, I'm sure on it's just saying, I'm so tired. My feet are really hurting. Well, I mean, you would be exhausted. But I know it's only a little. Yeah short dance but oh dear I mean Angela Rippon I mean she must want to get voted out at this stage like what was what was fun is now turning into just some hellish endurance no, I you're wrong. I think she's steely when they criticised her I could see her face and I thought oh Angela is not loving that Ooh. she does not like being told off she There's just vo- likes the plaudits voodoo dolls in her dressing room Virgin Radio Okay, here's problem number one for Sunday. Dear Maria and Graham, about a year ago, my boyfriend and I started renting a lovely house in a small village in West Yorkshire. We fell in love with it so much that when our landlady told us she was selling, we put in an offer and got the keys to the house in August of this year. It's our first home, so we're new to the whole experience. And one thing that's been a bit of a tricky situation is the previous owners, i.e. the former landlords, lady, personal items. And when I say personal, Graham and Maria, I feel very personal. Oh dear. Last weekend, we finally got round to emptying a big box in the shed that's been in there while we've been renting, also when the property was an Airbnb. While clearing this out, uh, while clearing out this box, sorry, a photograph fell on the floor. A nude photograph of our landlady. Not just one, though. Several, all in different positions. Mm. Then we found printouts after printouts of erotic emails and personal notes of affection, all from various men. They all predate her current partner, but not her now ex-husband. Uh, we don't know if we should either destroy the items or hand them back. We did allow her to come over and take anything that was personal, but seemed to have forgotten this treasure trove of sexual conquests. We don't want these items, but what if she remembers she left them? And then what's worse if we hand them over to her, knowing she knows we've seen naked photos of her? We want to be respectful, but we also don't want to embarrass her. 
What do we do? And that is from Henry in Derbyshire. Well, Henry in Derbyshire, I mean, this is all very prurient of you, frankly, judging your landlady's photographs. Have you seen the internet, by the way, Henry in Derbyshire? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen, as far as I can see, you've got two choices here, Henry. What you do is you... Seal back up the box, put all the things that you're horrified by back in the box and you put a bit of gaffer tape or sealing tape over the top of it. And then you email her and say, oh, we found a box which you think you might be yours. Um, Do you want it or shall we chuck it? That's one choice because then she can come back. She Mm -hmm. won't know that you've seen them because it's all taped up. Or the other choice is you just chuck them in the bin or burn them or whatever you think is the best way forward to get rid of them because she knows she's taken all her personal effects she's just forgotten about this so you know she won't remember if she'd sealed the box or not on this I think you're fine what I would say to you Henry and Derbyshire you live in a very small village I know how gossip can be seen as currency in a very small village where nothing much happens but you must forget about this and not tell a soul. I feel it may be too late for that. I feel you've already told people about this. You've certainly told us. Um, But really, don't mention it to anyone because it's not gossip. It's just something that happened to somebody. We've all got skeletons in our closet or boxes of erotica in our shed in this particular (laughs) case. So, you know, send her an email. Say, oh yeah, we found this box. Do you want it? Don't know what's in it. Whatever. Uh, And if she says, oh, chuck it, then there's your answer. What do you think, Graham? Well, one, I think they've got to let them tell the story to someone because it's a very oh, good story. Oh, Graham! It's he a very good story. It's and all the Virgin Radio listeners. <laughs> but no, you've got to be able to kind of go, see her, see her. <laughs> Guess what we found in the shed? <laughs> in the, the, the shed wide web. <laughs> You're a terrible person, but that's a good joke. Um, but I think what you do, I think all you can do, Henry, is because if she wanted this stuff, she'd have picked it up. If she remembered this stuff, she'd have got it. So I think all you can do is just chuck it away and pretend it never existed. I just say, nope, never saw a box in the shed. Uh, the shed was like this when we found it. And she'll just think someone else, who, you know, an Airbnb or someone who rented it, found it and took it whatever it doesn't matter because it'll be gone and she can't you know she can't be that attached to it or that upset by it because she, you know she left them there and like really she's left them there she's forgotten it though hasn't she yeah she's and forgotten all about she'll it she'll go what happened to all those letters and those lovely artistic photographs of me in various stages in the nude i know i mean <laughs> i mean it, yeah i don't i don't think she'll really thank you uh, for that box <laughs> I think I think it might be just a kindness just to uh, have a big bonfire. I mean, certainly, uh, you've got to burn it. You can't just put it in a bin because, as you say, small village. Imagine if the bin bag burst and suddenly <laughs> oh, blowing down the high street. <laughs> yeah, but it, if they're following yours, have you got to tell someone? They'll put it in a bin and they'll leave it open. <laughs> and then they'll say to somebody, oh, um, we found all these letters. Um, you could probably have a look. They're in that bin on the high street opposite the post office. No, I'm not saying do that. And I'm not. And also, you don't show the pictures to anyone. You, you just destroy, destroy, destroy. Because if you keep one, even as a kind of, you know, oh, that we, we can't throw them all out. Don't even keep one because something bad will happen to it. Someone will find it and it'll all yeah. be not funny anymore the other thing that you could do henry of course is um frame all the photographs um in <laughs> hang them up around the house frames, and then invite them around for christmas drinks <laughs> oh oh please do that henry <laughs> <laughs> and invite the entire village 
Yeah, I'm joking, rent out Henry, a space, joking, rent out a space in the high street and say you're putting, you're doing on an exhibition. Of <laughs> <laughs> erotica. Oh no. Oh dear. Uh, no, don't do that. I, I think just destroy, destroy, destroy. Uh, or I mean, yeah, or maybe Maria's right. Maybe you give her one last chance to claim her her uh, sordid past. We do not know. That responses part one. And my favorite responders today will be getting a bottle of. You heard me. Uh, number one, uh, Chianti Classico Reserva. Mm, this sounds so good. Uh, smooth and mellow Chianti Classico Reserva. It's been crafted exclusively for Waitrose and Partners by the prestigious Pacini Estate. It's aged for at least two years, producing delicate scents of rose petal and sweet spice and flavours of plum, cherry and dried rosemary, combined with a subtle oakiness that gives structure and elegance. It's a perfect partner. Oh, sorry, keeps going. Uh, to Rose Lab. Be a perfect partner by itself, wouldn't it? Yeah, there you go. Uh, Nick from Yorkshire says, if she was wild enough to take the pics, I'm sure she's free-thinking enough to reminisce about them again. Don't take away her opportunity forever. When you get to a certain age, it is difficult to, to wig you out anymore. Okay. Uh, good luck, Henry. I mean, it, it might be... It, do you know what? It might help that Henry's gay, so he's kind of going, oh, we saw the... You know what I mean? So it's not like, ooh, I've been enjoying these pictures. It's just, you know, we just found them. There you go. You have them. We once moved into a house where the previous owner took a number of items she should have left, but left us a sex toy and balaclava in a bedroom. We sent them back to her via her solicitor. Got no reaction, but it was satisfying. My advice is just get the shredder out. That's David and Janet in Leeds. They've lived. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, Henry, do you really not know what to do with these? Or are you just wanting a little drama in your quiet village life? It's easy. Imagine if it was you in the photos that you'd left in a previous property. You'd want them destroyed so no one could see them. Otherwise, every time you saw the person who found them, you'd be wondering if they'd rummage through your box and not be able to look them in the eye. That's from John in Staley Bridge. Richard and Bart said, there's nothing to do in the countryside. The whole village is at it. Uh, this was their landlady's invitation to join the neighbourhood watch. Oh, Richard and Bath, I don't, I don't think so. She'll be having a lovely time. Next week, we've got a letter. Dear Graham Maria, I sold a house and I think I left behind a box of potentially embarrassing photos. That's Ian in Preston. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give uh, the bottle of uh, Chianti Classical Reserva to Nick from Yorkshire. Because I, I, I think she must be quite quite open-minded this landlady so yeah give her the opportunity to, to get them back i'd say okay here's the second problem graham mm. dear graham and maria i have been in a relationship with a straight married man for over a year now and we have up until now managed to keep it a secret one of his grown-up children has been looking at my LinkedIn profile. This has now happened on more than three occasions in recent weeks. They have not sent me a connection request or a message and are only viewing my profile. Do I tell my married partner this, which will lead him to panic and potentially end our relationship, or should I keep it a secret, even though it is fairly obvious that one of his children has discovered the truth? which led them to identifying my name and finding me on LinkedIn. And that's from, uh, please help, that is from Ben in Sunderland. Oh, now, Ben in Sunderland, um, you're having a relationship, you say, with a straight married man. It's not a relationship, it's an affair. It's a secret affair. That's different. Uh, and when you say he will panic and potentially end our relationship, that means he doesn't want to leave 
his wife. And um, this is him having his cake and eating it too. So do you want to be in, a, as you call it, a relationship with somebody who is, you know, quite quite the liar and also will end it if he's discovered and creep back to his wife. The good thing is, is that the children are grown up now, so we don't need to worry about them, take them out of the equation. You know, this isn't about having an affair with a straight married man and you being gay. He's having an affair. If it's an affair with a woman or an affair with a man, he's having an affair um, and his children have found out one of them. So you have to tell him. I think you have to tell him, you have to say, this is what's happened. You, what are you going to do? I mean, I wonder if you're pushing for this to happen, though, Ben. Are you going to leave me uh, or are you going to leave your wife? A year is a long time to be having an affair, but it's nice because he's got everything he wants at home and everything he wants out of the home, shall we say. You do have to tell him and you have to be prepared for the consequences, whether he ends the relationship do you want to be in a relationship with somebody like this anyway I, I would say no it's it's a big world out there Ben find somebody who is less complicated I'm sorry um to be the purveyor of bad tidings but I'm not sure this will go anywhere anyway Graham what do you think uh not much better news on this end I'd say <laughs> Ben Ben come on I like it when we disagree well no all I would say to Ben is you can do better than this come really? on Ben because whatever you're thinking oh there's a kind of you know a sexual free song it's a secret it's da, da, da. no it's just tacky and stupid you know wh- why are you aiding and abetting this moron just just you know forget <laughs> well you know what i mean he is an idiot this man so just get out of dodge ben you can do better than this i mean as a parting whatever tell him oh by the way your kids know and then call it a day <laughs> because you know it's just it like and that, that even adds to my point that this guy's an idiot. Like, how the hell did he let, did he let his adult children find out that he was having an affair for over a year with Ben? I mean, it's just, oh, yeah. It, ben, come on, pull your socks up. You can do better than this. There is someone better for you out there that doesn't mean that you're just kind of like a weird little kind of tacky add-on to someone's life. Uh, no. Really, no, really, because really. Probably Ben, Ben from Sunderland. You know, it started something kind of appealing about the secrecy initially, and you know the subterfuge, etc. But you keep talking about a relationship. This is not a relationship. This yeah. is an affair. This is somebody who is not considering your feelings in this matter and merely their own gratification. And uh, Graham is right. You can really do better, mate. Yeah, because th- this isn't like star-crossed lovers, oh, look at us, you know, love behind enemy lines. It's no, this is just some idiot uh, who, yeah, is just treating you like a fool. So, uh, I really, Ben, come on. You are better than this. You can do better than this. And you deserve better than this. Everyone deserves yeah. more than this. Uh, it's, yeah, however kind of sort of sexy or secretive it might feel, uh, have a sit down and look at yourself in the mirror and kind of go, no, it's actually, it's none of that. This is just... And Ben, ugh. Ben from Sunderland, if you end the relationship, Graham is right, if you end it, that gives you the power. You don't want to be in a situation, although I feel somehow that you might quite like that, where you don't have the power, so you... You can be the hurt person. But if you say, I'm finishing this because now your kids know about it and it's been a year and this can't go on. I want to find somebody who loves me for me and I can build a life. Yeah, unless, of course, the child is running a company and just looking for new employees and it's a total coincidence, uh, then uh, then Ben will feel a fool. (laughs) 
he's missed well, out on a job on opportunity. You've a very wide circuit on that one, Graham. <laughs> Dare responses part two. And again, my, re- my favourite responder will be getting a bottle of a number one Chianti Classico Reserve. Uh, it looks so delicious, I can't tell you. Just the sheen of the light on the, the shoulder of the bottle. Oh, it's gorgeous. Uh, right, Richard in Tunbridge Wells. Ben, for God's sake, tell the man you are having an affair with. You are the third wheel, so tell him he can make the right choice for him. This is not your call. OK. Terry from Newmarket. Tell him his kids now know and then call it quits. You are his second choice. It is, it is. I mean, that is short and sweet, but true. Mary from Barnet. May- <laughs> oh, I like Mary's taken a problem and, and put it up a notch. Good for you, Mary. Maybe the son fancies you himself, and that's why he's been looking at you on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, Mary, that's what's going on. Uh, Mark in Bristol. Ben, Ben, Ben. Straight? Really? I know the sort. I bet he's fabulously wealthy as well. It's his pickle, not yours, and his pickle to sort out. Save yourself a go find yourself a lovely out man. I mean, it is essentially that, isn't it, Mark? Like, why would Ben be in this relationship? It's not a relationship. What are we talking about? Uh, uh, Jules in Bratton Ferry. Regular correspondent. Bin him, Ben. You could put that in a t-shirt, couldn't you? Just bin him, Ben. But then message the son on LinkedIn and thank him for encouraging him to wake up and smell the coffee and tell him you've ended it. That way the son can have some peace, albeit he still has to live with the knowledge that his dad's a cheater. Maybe he'll be a future letter writer to the show. Now, Jules, I think bin him, Ben was the good bit of advice. I think messaging the son on LinkedIn is not a good idea. No one's going to thank you for that. Uh, I tell you what, I'm going to give the uh, Chianti Classical Reserva, courtesy of Waitrose, to Mark in Bristol. That is where it is going. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Please welcome to the show, Dolly Alderton. Round of applause. Hello. Very good, yeah. No, why I was hesitant in your, uh, <laughs> in your intro was I was going to say that you're the um, advice columnist in the Sunday Times Style magazine. Yes. But then I wasn't sure if you were still doing it, so I was trying to find the column <laughs> in the magazine while I was reading out your intro. But you do still do it. I, after I'd finished, I found it. I, yeah. do, I do still do it. I heard Dolly uh, Alderton and I was sitting in the wings thinking, oh no, he thinks it's Parton. There's been a booking error. <laughs> no, I knew it was Dolly Alderton. I just wasn't sure whether you were still writing the Sunday Times. And yes. you are. Yes, I am. Every Sunday. The gig goes on. The gig goes on. It's the best gig in the world. Just telling people what to do. Well, you know, you were an agony uncle. Well, and you know, we still do it here on, on Virgin Myself and Maria. And it is amazing. There's kind of, there are, there are similar problems, mm. but they're all slightly different. Mm. Yeah. I found that there are basically like the same eight problems with being a human. <laughs> and then they're just dressed up with a kind of different outfit. But basically we all, and I think there's something kind of reassuring about that, isn't, isn't there? That we're all basically just going through the same eight things. <laughs> and also what's, what's really reassuring is we never get better at any of those eight things. No. <laughs> Exactly. It's so funny that when you have someone writing in about heartbreak who's 70 and it's word for word exactly the same as the person writing in at 15. Talking of uh, the kind of constant problems in our life, your new novel uh, is basically a breakup with that cl- the classic problem, uh, mm. breakup, and, and having difficulty with, with a, a breakup. You write it from a man's point of view. It's called Good Material. Mm. Why did you choose that angle? 
I have written about heartbreak lots before and I've written a lot about heartbroken women. And I just, you know what it's like when you write a novel, you have to choose to spend time with these like housemates that are these characters that are going to live with you in your computer for a year. And I just don't know. I didn't know if I want to spend another year with a sad lady. I just feel <laughs> like I've already had that girl live in my head and in my laptop for so long. I just wanted to try something new. And I, I like the exercise as a novelist, how it would stretch me to imagine what happens on the other side of a breakup but you chose I think you chose a very difficult man because he's a stand-up mm. which is a, a whole different kettle of fish there's men and then there's <laughs> and then there's male stand-ups yeah I think I like the idea of going into a brand new world and stand-up comedy in the circuit and the you know doing a different show every night it just as a novelist it just offered up a great catalogue of characters that we could meet every night so and also yeah. the, all the other terrible extra gigs he has to do yes exactly yeah. exactly and there's something about him that he it kind of lives in, in a bit of an eternal boyhood he's a bit of a man child so I was like what job could someone a man have at 35 that still allows him to <laughs> sort of play as a job you know and comedy felt like that was a good symbol of what that is and is it as simple as I'm a novelist, I'm going to write in this man's voice? Or were you were you kind of second guessing yourself? Were you kind of showing it to male friends and going, this is right, right? Well, I interviewed uh, about 15 men oh, okay. about heartbreak and relationships and male friendship. So um, I did lots of interviews and kind of 20 hours of conversation, which helped me form... Andy and his friends. And then I was checking stuff with my male friends. The main note that I got that I think was really interesting because it's a first-person narrator is the first people who read it, particularly my male friends, kept telling me that he was too emotionally aware. <laughs> so he was having all these observations about his own emotions, which didn't ring true for a 35-year-old man who's not in therapy and doesn't talk about his feelings with his mates. Yeah. So I had to sort of strip out some of that. And what was it like when we get to... Because there are some intimate scenes in the mm. book... Uh, were, were, they, were they difficult to kind of write those scenes from a, from a man's point of view? So difficult. So I've written those intimate scenes before. And as you know, they're never the funnest part. Oh, yeah, you, you understand why in movies it fades to black. Totally. And I do know writers who do do that in their novels. And now when I read that back, I'm like, no, that's cheating. If I had to sit and write that and Google synonyms for things... <laughs> Then you have to do the same. But weirdly, I found writing it from a male perspective so much harder. So much harder. I actually feel so much more respect for male writers who can write those intimate scenes and they come off as, you know, true and sexy and not embarrassing. It just feels like... So much, it's so much easier to be lascivious from a male point of view. Yeah, and we do eventually get to some of his. Not you don't quite do material, but we get kind of the flavour of what he's doing. Yes, was was that hard, or because you've written it for comedy shows and stuff, was that quite easy? No, it was so hard. So I'm glad that you noticed it was the flavour because it's <laughs> it's hard enough for comedians who've been doing it for thirty years to write material that people uh, laugh at on stage. So instead, I did a sort of talking around the. Material material of what the material might be like for the audience rather than trying to write comedy which I wouldn't be able to do well it's so much even in books where people write bad stand-up like as it's supposed to be bad yeah it, you, it still doesn't it's very hard for it to ring true true isn't it yeah totally and I really do believe in any book or any tv show where it's like art about art whether it's a tv show about a comedy show or it's really got to feel very very real all those layers otherwise it just jolts you out of the experience so is this the future Dolly are you going to alternate between 
uh, kind of non-fiction and fiction? No, non-fiction is over. Oh, okay. Yeah, You've... it's fiction forever for me now. Until I'm about 70. I've decided at 70 I'm going to write everything I know about life and I'm going to write a memoir where I talk about everything because I won't care at that point. I know, you'd be covered in tattoos. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about the timeline of the because it's so mm. specific. It's proper dates and it's not like diary dates, but you, you, you've, you've planned it meticulously. What was that about? I wanted to capture the last six months before lockdown, before COVID happened. I feel weirdly romantic and nostalgic about about that time. I think in my lifetime, it feels like it's the before world and the after world of how everything changed. And I just wanted to spend some time in that very innocent period before we knew what was coming. And I also think that that's an interesting part of lockdown that wasn't really spoken about, understandably, because there were so many more urgent things to talk about but what happened to the people who were utterly heartbroken who were then plunged into solitude for the best part of two years I think it's an interesting state to find yourself in because when you have a breakup the thing that you do to get over it is go out yeah but also the other thing I totally forgot was that uh, the official Brexit Mm. and the beginning (laughs) beginning of Covid were kind of simultaneous Mm. and the last election it was a very strange time in history that autumn 2019 yeah so it was um, I spent a lot of time on the Wikipedia 2019 page (laughs) (laughs) to get those details (laughs) and uh, uh, something that I didn't know you did till I was you were coming on here was you were a story producer on Made in Chelsea. Yes. What the hell does that person do? (laughs) So I'll tell you what it's not like. It's not like Ed Harris in the Truman Show sitting in the moon. Okay. um, With a headset on. Um, But it's basically, it's much more real than everyone tells me that it is. I did it for two years and I can tell you that it really is reality, that show. The producers would tell the story producers what was going on in the cast's life and then we would order that into some sort of shape that would make an episode. So it's more, would you, would you be at the edit or would you? We would, it's about, <laughs> this is when I start talking like a politician and stumbling <laughs> over my words. Um, it's it's about. No, it's just, I find it fascinating, yeah. that thing. Because, you know, kind of like, oh, could you have that row again, but better? No, no, that was our idea of hell. That oh, could, okay. We couldn't ever do that. So if we found out that something had happened that we wanted to get on camera, then we would have to report what had happened. We couldn't ever replicate it. Okay. So basically it's this kind of dark art to make sure that a camera is on people at the moment that we know something big in their life is going to happen. So are people constantly interviewing them? Yes, exactly. So so they're saying, I think I might break up with Tabitha. Yeah. You go, well, hold on. (laughs) Don't do it just yet. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it is a very specific type of magic of how, and that's why when you work on those shows, it does kind of take over your whole life because I would often uh, on a weekend get a call and be like, something's happened we need to change everything <laughs> it's an emergency it's an emergency someone snogged someone and when you're out and about on the party circuit would you bump into these people no no i wouldn't it was like it, but do you I bump was, into them now i do bump into them now and, it's and do they fun, know what uh, you did yeah yeah they know they, i think they're aware of how it was all made but i didn't it was it was a weird because it was my first job graham so i was 22 oh wow so a lot of the cast were the same age as me or older than me so i was really learning that thing that i think is quite difficult in creative industries of 
boundaries. Like, you know, I, I kind of felt like I was their supply teacher, but I also <laughs> had to talk to them. So it was like a bit of a extreme learning experience in terms of like learning how to be professional as well as work with people as your product basically yeah. and can you watch those shows now or is it just it's dead to you no i don't watch them but my flatmates who watched it religiously when i was making it are still in this pact forever these are women in their like late 30s at this point and they have a pact every week that they watch it at the same time remotely together okay that show really gets <laughs> under people's skin I'm, I'm sort of glad it hasn't. I'm I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Um, very quickly, you're promoting this book with these an audience with evenings. Yes. Have you got some more to go? Yeah, I've got a bunch more. I'm doing Brighton next week, Bath, Bristol, Dublin, Belfast, Edinburgh, two more London shows. And how do we find out how to do those? You can go onto my Instagram. There are oh, there there's a, there's links on my Instagram, and there are loads of really cool people who are going to be interviewing me. Okay. Yeah. And and you can buy a book at the same time. And you can buy a book. Thank yeah. you very much. Graham. Night out and a book. Yeah. How bad? Yeah. Uh, the book is called Good Material. Uh, Dolly Alderton uh, is the author, and it comes out on the 9th of November. The uh, did you do the audiobook, by the way? No, Arthur Darville and Vanessa Kirby did the audiobook. Um, how posh is that? I know it's really good. Wow. Yeah. That is impressive. I'm annoyed now. I'm, <laughs> I'm ending the interview. Uh, <laughs> lovely to see you. Thank you for coming Thank in. Thank you so Thank much you for having me. Cheers. A very exciting chat with Simon Lebon on the way. But first, ding, ding. Hello, how are you? I am well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Happy Guy Fawkes Day. Is today Guy Fawkes Day? Yeah, I think it so. Is. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is it's the 5th of November. Night. Yeah, it's night. Yeah, it's bonfire night. All of that. All of that. Uh, so what have you brought us to help us celebrate Guy Fawkes Night? So I have got some homemade toffee apples and these are crunchy bottomed toffee apples. They're toffee apples and I've dunked them in nice little crunchy bits. Oh, lovely. Well, a lady was on earlier and she made your sausage tray bake. Oh. And it was a triumph. Yes. So she's waiting with bated breath to find out how to make the uh, the toffee apples. Oh, oh we love to hear that. That's so kind. So you made these this morning and they're set already. I did. They set quite quickly, about an hour, until oh, okay. they're nice and firm. Oh, so people can could make these now and they'd be fine for tonight. Yeah, today is the day. You've okay. got all afternoon. <laughs> They'll be ready for this evening. I'm very impressed by the length of your stick. <laughs> I mean, it, look, it looks like an Olympic fencer has, has approached the uh, toffee apples. They are actually, I had not noticed, but they are very long sticks. They The recipe suggests lolly sticks, but I struggle to find those at this current time of year. For like summer, lolly sticks everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not this kind of time of so year. what are they? Are these saute or something? Or These are just, I think they're barbecue skewers. Barbecue but made like the bamboo ones. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. But um, to be no, honest, it, you could use anything. You could even use a metal fork or something if you're, if you're not giving them out on yeah. the street. You but know? no, what, what, <laughs> but that looks so dramatic when you walked in with the the plate of them. It did look no, it looked <laughs> fantastic. They got <laughs> yeah, they got high. People would see you coming. Oh, do you know what you could do? And you probably couldn't. I was thinking, could you put a sparkler in there? <gasps> oh! Yeah, but then it'd be a hot I'm trying burny. to work out. Yeah, no, no. A little, Children a, a would burn their hands. <laughs> no, it's, it's an accident waiting to happen. Don't do that. It's a very bad, <laughs> very bad idea. And <laughs> I think people are, I mean, I say people, I mean me, are quite nervous of approaching a toffee apple because we do kind of think, oh, might break a tooth. Uh, what? How do you... How do you manage that? Or is is that just, that's the nature of toffee apples, there's nothing to do? I think you you always have to take the risk <laughs> that it might 
take out your fillings. Okay. But hopefully it's worth it. I can. Virgin Radio, I hope, I hope they're insured. <laughs> One of the things you've done is you've solved the problem of often too much apple. I feel. Yes. And the, you found some nice small apples. Some tiny apples. Yeah. They're so cute. They come in a little bag of, of six. They're just called Waitrose Essential Mini Apples. And they're just like teeny. Yeah. This is, I think, key. Because after with a toffee apple, you're just, um, there's quite a lot of dull apple in this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I've tried to make this unhealthy, but I've just got health. <laughs> uh, the other thing you've done amazingly is how glossy and clear... The, it looks like, you know, like a, I don't know, it looks like it's been dipped in aspic or something. It looks incredible. Yeah, they look like they've been preserved and they'll last <laughs> yeah. a week Ooh, or so. It's like Jurassic Park, you know, with the, f- <laughs> the flies and amber. It's like that, but for an apple. Uh, okay, uh, so I, I have a feeling uh, caramel is quite hard to make, but let's find out. Uh, how do we start? So we're going to start with our apples. You've got the little bag of mini apples. You can use the big ones if you want. The higher ratio of apple, but the mini Boring. ones... Boring! <laughs> the mini ones look much better and you'll get much more out of your caramel. Yeah, you can yeah. poke many things. So you get your mini apples. You want to poke a lolly stick or a skewer into the top of each one. Don't go all the way through. You just want to make sure it's nice and solid, securely wedged in there. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Then we're going to move on to our caramel. So we're taking caster sugar and then golden syrup. There's quite a lot of golden syrup in this, which works really well because often people worry about making caramel because it crystallises. They start making it and then it all changes texture and it's it's really hard work. It just becomes like sticky sludge. Exactly. Yeah. But golden syrup is an inverted syrup. So it will help mingle with those sugar crystals and create something that's not going to turn all crystallised in your pan and is going to result in something lovely and shiny. I feel like you're setting me a challenge. Like, I'll, I'll go home and I'll still manage to crystallise it. <laughs> Martha said... You said it wouldn't happen. You said it, it was an inverted sugar. I don't know. So once you've mixed those two together with some water, you want to put that over a low heat to start with, make sure the sugar's dissolved, and then crank it up nice and high. If these are... They look like a lovely thing to make with kids. I would say the adult needs to definitely do the sugar part. If you have very responsible children, maybe you can let them dip, but... With an oven glove on. <laughs> yeah, because it sounds quite owie and hot. Yeah. A heatproof suit, though. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Hazmat. Yeah. It, is, it does get very hot. So then we need to boil that syrup up to 146 degrees. If you've got a thermometer, perfect. Stick that in. That's the, that, now, what was the last thing we had a thermometer for? Oh, I think it was meringue. We were yes. doing lemon meringue pie. Yes. So that wow. was about 118 this is taking it right up to the hot, to the hottest. Oh, I'm using all of my thermometer. You can get yes. Well, it was a good investment. Yeah. <laughs> if you purchased it for the meringue pie, <laughs> you can get it out again now. Um, so you want it's called the hard crack stage, which is where, because when you bite into your apple, you want it to be that hard crack. Mm. If you haven't got a thermometer, you can get a little thing of cold water, like a little glass. When you drizzle in a bit of the syrup, it should go hard and crack <laughs> when you take it out so it will look like a little a little shard okay. little thing. Yeah, yeah. that's how you can test it if you haven't got a thermometer then we are going to take our apples once the syrup is hot let it cool slightly so it get, becomes a bit more viscous mm-hmm. dunk them in the caramel let as let as much of it drip off as you can because otherwise you get quite a thick coating and you just want a nice little but you've nicely you've, but you've done the whole app because often the, another complaint <laughs> Is they often just do toffee around the bottom. I know. And then you're left with even more more dull apple. Well, yeah. So, yeah. Outrageous. Yeah. You want your money's worth yeah. when you're having a toffee apple. Yeah. Whole apple in there. Um, let a little bit drip off. And then we're dunking the bottom in some sesame seeds and some chopped pecan nuts. So you get this lovely little 
extra bit and it stops that pooling happening on the tray. So now when you put them onto your tray, they're basically just going to catch in all of these lovely crunchy bits. And you could put sprinkles in there if you want to or use different nuts, different seeds, whatever floats your boat. Um, If toffee apples sound a bit too challenging, but you think I want to do this with my family, blah, 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 chocolate is a great substitute. So just do away with the toffee, melt some dark chocolate, some milk chocolate or some white chocolate. Then you can dunk the apples, dip them in the same crunchy things or sprinkles or things like that. And they'll set, they'll take a bit longer to set, but yeah. they'll be a little bit safer for everyone to be dipping and their hands gr- in. Granny won't lose her teeth. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> the dentures won't be flying across the fireworks. Uh, crunchy bottom toffee apples. How do you make them? Head to waitos.com slash showchef. And that recipe will be there along with all of Martha's recipes. You can see how beautiful these look uh, on our social at Virgin Radio UK. Thank you so much, Martha. Uh, we'll see you next week. You're very welcome. See you next All week. All right. Happy. Oh, no, it's not Halloween. What is it, Guy Fawkes? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. That voice you heard was <clears throat> none other than Simon LeBond from Duran Duran. Welcome, sir. Hi, I know I know we're live now because your your microphone's gone bright red. So glowing. is yours. So is oh, yours. Yeah. I know. Yeah, well, I, I usually do that to yeah, things. Yeah, so yeah, it's like you've been in the business, Simon. It's like it's like you've been around the block. You know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, Had good, a great, good. having a great time. All the work we're doing. Um, you know, we have a new album out. I heard that. Yes, Dance Macabre. This is Dance Macabre. Yeah. And now it, we were calling it a Halloween album, but the Halloween's gone now. Yeah. So what are we calling it now? Well, we kind of sh- <laughs> shot ourselves in the foot with that one, didn't we? Um, well, it's a sort of it's it's a kind of a, a darkly themed Christmas album now. It's just it's slowly morphing. <laughs> You know, a bit like like Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, you Halloween go. Jack yeah. and all that stuff. In fact, Julie D'Souza has been in touch. <clears throat> I know, Julie. Uh, oh, Hello, well, Julie. Uh, was, please ask Simon Bond. Uh, they've now covered anniversaries and Halloween. Is there a Christmas album on the cards? Um, well, there isn't right now, but um, if you if you care to re- to regard Dance Macabre as a sort of darkly themed Christmas album, <laughs> please feel free. Um <laughs> I think I think it's something that will come to us eventually. Yes, because what struck me about the album is obviously there's a, there's a few uh, pure Duran Duran songs, but there are covers on it as yeah. well. Yeah, and because in my head a Duran Duran song sounds like a Duran Duran song because it is. Yeah. But you make the cover sound like... What is, what is... I mean, I know this is maybe impossible for you to explain, but what is it? What is your sound? Why do you... Why do you why well, do I think you, a lot of it's got to do with my voice. Because I've got a, uh, I just have a voice that doesn't sound like anybody else, um, which has been, um, which has been a millstone around my neck at times, and also a great advantage at times. Um, take a song like um, "Bury a Friend," which is you know, a, m- a fantastic song by Billie Eilish. Yeah. Um, listen to her version, and fir- on first listen, I thought, well, how are we going to do anything that makes this sound like Duran Duran? But uh, Nick and John and Roger spend a lot of time putting this beautiful backing together. And um, so it came to me doing the vocal and I thought, I can't do an impersonation of Billie Eilish. A, because it, it's an impersonation. B, because it wouldn't be very good. Um, <laughs> and I'd been listening to this band called King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Try saying that ten times. Oh, really? Um, and they and they've got a very kind of one of their albums. It's got a very Middle Eastern tonality to it. They use this. Um, it's called a Persian scale or Hijaz Kar, the drop second to drop sixth scale. Also, oh, and well. I thought if I try, I try and sing the verse melody in that scale rather than the, the the regular Western scale, it might kind of make it a bit different. And as soon as I did it, I felt that I had a real handle on the song, and it suddenly sounded like us. Yeah. 
but but also songs that we know so well, like Ghost Town. Yeah. I mean, you you know, you say Ghost Town and people can immediately hear the specials in their head. Well, but- I brummed it up. <laughs> oh, Ghost Town. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, you know, the, the specials are from the Midlands anyhow. I couldn't figure out why they they hadn't brummed it up more themselves. Or, But, um, yeah, definitely too much fortune on the dance floor. And, you know, you say, oh, how are we going to do Bury a Friend? So that makes it sound like, how did the, the set list come together? Um, well, it was mainly Nick. To be honest with you, it, it, this, it, this, the album is very much Nick's baby. <laughs> but we got dragged into it and sort of, at first it was sort of like, oh, God, really? One of the Halloween albums? Do we really want to do that? Um, but s- as soon as we started playing the songs, the inspiration, the enthusiasm just kicks in because they're great pieces of music. Um, John was the one who brought the Billie Eilish song. I brought Paint It Black. I know. Um, which is that's such a great version of Paint Thank Black. you, yeah. thank yeah, you. It's really, really good. Because again, it's one of those songs that everybody knows. Yeah, so it's kind yeah. of weird to hear a, a new version. Well, it's very different our yeah. version, isn't it? I tell you what, let's play uh, one of the tracks. This is one of the original Black Moonlight. What yeah. do you want to tell us about Black Moonlight? Well, Black Moonlight is Duran Duran with Nile Rogers. Nile got off a he got off a fourteen hour flight from Hawaii, drove straight to the studio. We chatted for five minutes. We knew we only had two days to make the make the song he started playing and John started playing and they had this descending riff I sang the melody he said that's it and we went what it's the first thing is no that's it and we did it wow played the catch um it must be kind of fun to play new stuff um it's 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 great you know we've been we've been touring pretty much solidly for the last five six years or you know we, we, we don't do it like we used to we don't go off on a year and a half tour where you come back a year and a half older but no wiser um, we do we'll do like a month on then two months off another month on yeah and um, we've just had the most successful tour of the United States we've ever ever done wow. and you guys you get on oh yeah 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 we're friends and we're partners we're we're business partners yeah. and we're we're artists together nobody thinks they're more important on their own than 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 they are as part of Duran yeah. Duran and we split everything equally have you looked at other bands and thought oh mustn't be them Yes, but we're, we're not going to mention any names. No, no, just, I'm not going to do that. I'm no. not going to do that. But what's amazing, like Duran Duran, the love for you, like we were talking uh, while that record was on, I was saying, you know, on the TV show, you know, that you did last week, you know, we had Arnie there and, yeah. and you know, G. Gentry and everything. But a lot of people in that queue were there for Duran Duran. I know. It was, it was, it was wonderful. And we felt the love in the room as well. Um but I do have to say, I think Arnie's incredible. Um, my daughter Tallulah is a massive Arnie fan. She's got on the back. She's got a picture of Arnie on the back of her phone. That's how much she does wow, him. Wow, that's keen. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, what I was saying, that audience in that in the the studio, you know, you they were there because this was a, an opportunity to see you play yeah. live. Yeah. So, have you got more dates planned? Have you got more live performances planned? We have. We've got some. We've got some more shows coming up um, in the states next year, but we have one very very important show that we're going to play next summer, and this is the world announcement oh, yeah. of. The fact that Duran Duran will be headlining one of the nights at Latitude Festival. Wow, that is big. Yeah. Okay. So Latitude Festival next year. Uh, weirdly, we are uh, Virgin is a, a media partner of yes. of um, uh, uh, Latitude Festival, and I happen to know it's taking place at Henham Park in Suffolk from the twenty fifth to twenty eighth of July, and you can get tickets at latitudefestival.com/slash. 
uh, tickets. Uh, I mean, that is a, a biggie. It's huge. Yeah. It's a massive festival and we're very excited about it, you know. Oh, We I'm came not... to festivals, sorry. Can I... No, no, go. Um, we came to festivals kind of very late in our career because, you know, we started off in the 80s and during the, in the 80s, people didn't really do festivals. And then we kind of, and then as festivals got big during the 90s, we had a bit of a decline. Um, so when we came back with the reunion in the early 2000s, that's when we started looking at festivals. And we've been doing as many as we can ever since. The great thing about festivals is that you get to play to other people's audiences. So you get to, you get to, to turn hopefully turn other people onto your band. But what I think will be great about Duran Duran at a night like that will be that, that they might be other people's audiences, but they will know all your songs. They will. Yeah. yeah. Good job, too, because I forget the words sometimes. <laughs> uh, that's something you look forward to. Uh, so, Dates in America, but also Latitude Festival. If people want to see Duran Duran live, Latitude Festival next year, you get tickets at latitudefestival.com slash tickets. How exciting. Congratulations thank on that. Thank you very much, Graham. Uh, thank you for coming to see us. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, sir. Thank you. Thank it's you a very pleasure, much. and I just want to wish everybody a wonderful Sunday. It's, here in London, it's a fantastic day. I hope it is for everybody. Are you going to see a firework tonight? Um, I'm going to with my with my two grandchildren, Taro oh. and Bubba. They're four. They're five and four years old, and we've got some little things and sparklers and things organised for the back garden. Keeping it steady. There's some toffee apples out there if you want to break Thank their you. teeth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening today. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9:30 on Virgin Radio. Follow us on all our socials to keep up to date, and make sure you check out our YouTube channel too. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK, and you'll find loads of great interviews and live sessions. Until next time, the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.